Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We survived the state fair. We did two weekends in a row of the Wisconsin State <laughs> Fair. I tell you, though, on Sunday, my body did feel a little destroyed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like I wonder it, why that is. Yeah, it really, after <laughs> four hours of high energy playing, like sometimes I wish we were a jazz band or something, or like the guy in the band before us was sitting down the whole time. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe he has the right idea. That sounds relaxing. Yeah. But the thing is not really the four hours play. For me, the thing is the hour of loading in and setting up and then the hour of, you know, tearing down and loading back up and That's that right. end of it. Yeah. So you pile that on top of the four hours of rocking out and then, yeah, it's it's a good workout. The glamorous part. So let me, to everybody, <laughs> explain it. No, we, we yes. have people who will help us set up. And oh, yeah. Great friends and wonderful support. Wonderful. But, but wonderful. let's also say, though, that it's we set up our own stuff. So the whole life, idea of the life, glamorous life of a rock star, where you have roadies and, and things like that, and we're, we're just sitting there, like, drinking. In a green room. Right. Or, or in the tour bus, <laughs> drinking champagne and eating caviar with Kanye West does not work for us. Yeah. No, we have a green room. It's called the Sunspot Van. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes the air conditioning works. Yeah, and that, that means it's really nice then to get ready and do your hair when the air conditioning works, because then you're not in sweat out all the product even before it gets right. in. Right. But it was a lovely time at the State Fair. We yeah. even got to go down the giant slide. We did. <laughs> What'd you think? I love the giant slide. It was, actually, it was still fun. <laughs> that was a highlight of my evening. Yes. And we went on the huge Ferris wheel as well. Yeah. So that was fun. Hadn't done that in a long time. And you guys are all going to see that when we uh, finish the video <laughs> for our song last week for the last episode, the State Fair of the Strange we did last week. Where we talked about all the weirdness you can find at different state fairs across the country. We did a song called Life on a Stick, and we'll really have a video out this week. There's going to be a video for Life on the Stick mm. coming out this week. You'll be able to check that out. Uh, and that'll be It'll probably, if you are our Facebook friend, you'll see that's a great way to see that. Uh, if you are on our email list, uh, othersidepodcast.com, it's really easy to sign up on the email list or be our Facebook friend, facebook.com slash othersidepodcast. Yes. Uh, become our friend so you can watch videos and things like that. Because if you only know us through the world of iTunes or Google Play or and whatever the Android thing is or Stitcher or any of that kind of stuff, you're only getting half of it. Because number one, you're never seeing Wendy and my beautiful faces. <laughs> Gosh. And number two, we have... Uh, paranormal news, uh, discussion, and fun videos and things like that that we put on our Facebook and share with our email list all the time. So just make sure you yeah. check that out. Come on in, cozy up with us. Yeah. It's, well, it's a, great, it's, it's a great way to get to know us a little more intimately than just through the yeah. podcast. Because exactly. we love being in your ears. We'd also love to be in your eyes. Well, and we'd like to hear from you. So we'd like for you to be in our ears yes. in a way. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise... If you leave a five-star review on iTunes as well, uh, we'll read it on the air. Or For sure. On the air. Like this is... It's, yeah, this is no, live. At no point does this ever actually go <laughs> over terrestrial airwaves. Except, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so we're gonna, we'll read that for you on the tubes. <laughs> as well yes. You know, this is a fun episode because I really enjoyed the interview we did today. John Egan was easy to talk to. Sometimes with guests, you have to... 
they feel strange about their experiences or sometimes feel scared or sometimes people are writers and they're not speakers. Okay. John Egan was, a, he's a talker. <laughs> you know he's yeah definitely and he's got the kind of accent that makes it fun to listen to it almost felt like i was talking to a movie character sometimes <laughs> and so it was really easy to talk to him so so john egan released a book this year called between love and hate the devil is real and he had a really crazy experience and he stands behind it and he, he goes into this whole thing he tells you his life story and how he got to the point where he experienced something well, if that, if that I saw it, I'd have pooped a little. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so it was a real pleasure to interview John Egan because he, he was easy to talk to. And he's got a story that you're going to have to hear to believe. All right. Well, let's hear it. All right. And we welcome today author John Egan, who just wrote a new book, The Devil is Real. John, welcome to the See You on the Other Side podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Mike. It's an honor to be here. We're happy to have you. Where, where are you from? Where are you at right now? Oh, right now I live in New Jersey, but I was originally born in Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah, I've been out here most of my life, though. But what I was going to say is, you know, every time you hear an encounter that a person has about a ghost or an angel or a demon, you, you wonder about that person a little bit. At least I do. And I'm a little bit skeptical myself, you know. Sure. I wonder if he or she is a legitimate person. Are they a little crazy? Are they doing this for attention? That's why I'll give you a little brief history about my life and who I am. You know, because by this aberration I had, a small veil was lifted for a moment in time where I was able to peer in through a dimension unseen by most people. I could actually see through a threshold into a paranormal realm. And I think your listeners are going to be enlightened and they're going to, it's, uh, more than they can imagine. And it's quite frightening, too. This aberration is the antithesis of any aberration I've ever heard or read about. I mean, Mike, if you think about it, how many times in the course of history does an entity break through a dimension to deliver a message? Now, I could probably count them on my right hand alone. Uh, you know, you read the Bible, right. there's plenty of occurrences of where angels brought messages to people. There's not that much about devils delivering messages to people. You know, there's plenty of stories about ghosts scaring people, haunting houses. We've heard so many stories about that. I kind of believe them. I do in a lot. But I'm not a crazy person. I'm not looking for attention, you know. I was given a few talents in my life that got attention. Uh, I was a best-selling author. I don't know if we're going to have time to get into that or not. Actually, I, I'd love to know a little bit about your childhood and things. Because we talk about, you know, you had an incredible experience. And when we talk to some people, they've had experiences starting when they were little kids. They've had experiences, you know, starting in their youth or maybe something traumatic happened to them and it changed them to have an experience. Yeah. And so I'd be interested, did you grow up Catholic? Did you grow up Jewish? Did you grow up in any kind of religious environment? And did you have experiences when you were younger? Yeah, well, I, like I said, I was born in Brooklyn back in the day and I went to a parochial school, a school where Franciscan brothers were in charge. Every single thing was regimented back then. Uh, before school, you played in the fence in school, schoolyard, you know. Uh, then uh, a Franciscan brother would come out and he would blow a whistle and then like thousands of us had to stop cold. And if you were playing basketball or something like that, all you could hear is the basketballs bouncing. You know what I mean? You couldn't move. Right, the drop. Yeah. If you, t if you, if you touched that basketball and you moved to grab the basketball, the Franciscan brother's going to beat you. And when you got home, your mom's going to beat you. So you couldn't win, you know. Right. You had to stay in line. Then we had to march in like soldiers into the school. But that's where I got my basic foundation, where my morals are. Back then, people all went to church. You know, the neighborhoods were the same nationality, same religion. 
churches were full back then. You had to get there early to get, uh, get to church uh, if you wanted to get a seat. Back in the day, they had uh, these little soundproof rooms with a glass front uh, that uh, the mothers would take their babies in there if they were crying so they didn't disturb everybody. But yeah, now the crying room, we still, I mean, we <laughs> yeah. still had that when I was a kid. Oh, uh, yeah, right. So, but nowadays, you don't even need it. People don't bring, I mean, they claim that like 70% of my religion have dropped out of going to church on Sunday and they don't bring their kids there anymore. So it's just like so much room in the pews all the time. It's a, it's a shame, but that's that's where I got my basic foundation for my religion. And then, okay. we, then my dad moved us all to New Jersey. He had six of us kids. I don't know how he did it, to be honest with you, Mike, back then. He was a truck driver. How, how do you do that? And, uh, and then I got, that's where I got my education. I went to uh, Trenton State College. It was called that then. Now it's called the College of New Jersey. That's where I got my, my degrees. And then uh, I, I started as a, a, a special ed teacher. So, uh, but that's why I kind of felt uh, I was blessed. When you start working with these kids who have no qualities or attributes or characteristics that normal children have or anybody has, you kind of feel that you're blessed just by being normal. You know, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, oh, yeah. That, that you, you feel lucky that you don't have to deal with those kind of challenges that some of those kids had to deal with. Absolutely. So, uh, and also I had children and they had these cerebral cancers, these young little innocent kids. And I would give them like a coloring book and they would try to color in uh, on the numbers, you know, and keep staying in the lines. And they, and they had these terrible cancers of the jaw and they, they would dr- drool. But there was a teacher's aide in the room all the time and they would help me clean up the drool, you know. But I felt so bad because they were trying to develop a skill that they were never going to use because the, the back then, well, even today, it's so hard to cure these cancers, you know. So mm-hmm. that was really terrible. And that's how I began to feel blessed. And I felt like I owed something back. I should, you know, pay God back for the for the talents he gave me. And the normal, I was just being normal was a blessing, believe it or not. So I started, I meditating and prayed a lot in my life all those times. So that's how I got into a lot of meditation and prayer. But as far as demons, I, the only time I ever had a... Uh, uh, an encounter. Well, I didn't have an encounter, but the, uh, my father had this blood disease that r- runs in the family. He died young. They didn't know how to cure it back then. My brother got it, and he he was young too. And he had a heart attack. He he went to the hospital. Uh, he he was in the hospital bed. He had a severe heart attack in the hospital bed, and he died there. So he told me afterwards that when he died, he left his body. He was still in the hospital room. And uh, he was watching the nurses and the doctors frantically trying to get him back to life again. He was a young man, so they, they were able to do it. But he said, in the meantime, he said to me, demons came for me. And, I, and he said, Johnny, why did demons come for me? And I was like, I, I really don't know, Paul. He said, but why would demons come? <laughs> and I was so yeah. perplexed by this thing. Uh, they were grabbing him and pulling him. He said he was pulling him into the dark corner of the hospital room. But I guess that was another dimension somehow because he's not even, he was washing himself in the bed. And they finally got him back to life. And uh, now that he, he's a completely different person today. He's taking a 180-degree turn. Now. He's a very religious man today. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess you Well, would. sure, because he's seen what's out there. You don't want to go back. <laughs> I know, right? So that's really the only time I ever had any encounter with demons. What I did when I was a, a teacher, you have a lot of time because you don't have to correct a lot of papers, you know, when you have special aid class. Uh, there's no real tests to do. I mean, the only thing we really did in there was I, uh, I had uh, you know, those iron rollers. I don't know if you've ever seen them. When a truck pulls up to a warehouse, they put the iron rollers out. They put the boxes on the iron rollers and they shove them down there oh, into the sure. warehouse. But we had the iron rollers in the room. <laughs> so I would line up the kids along the iron rollers. i give the first kid a box. He'd put it on the iron roller, send it down to 
to the second kid, he would put something in it, and then the second, third kid, and then somebody, you know, tape it, and then they'll stack it. So that's what kind of jobs they were going to have back then. So I had time, and then I had te- we had a teacher's aide in the room all the time. Uh, she had to help feed them at lunchtime, so I had like two-hour lunchtime. So I had a lot of time. So I started uh, uh, bartending at night, nightclubs. Okay. Yeah, so I met like a little different kind of people then. Not weren't as innocent as these, these kids were. They were like a little more wicked. Well, yeah, I, I would assume that when you go out to the nightclub, it's going to be a different crowd than the uh, special ed kids. Absolutely a different crowd, you know. But I felt bad for these people because a lot of them who were in the middle of their wickedness, like, you know, there was a lot of people looking for drugs, of course, alcohol. Uh, you know, they, they smoked and drank a lot. Uh, uh, so uh, a lot of them died over the years that I've known in like, car accidents and overdoses and like really terrible cancers. From, I guess if you just smoke and drink so much every single night, your body just can't handle it. But I always felt that they died in a state of, a lot of them were atheists. A lot of them, you know, every other word was like they reduced God's name in vain like every other sentence. And, and I felt like they died in, in a time where they didn't get the chance to grow old and understand their life at all. So I used to pray to God and say, God, if it's possible, don't send these souls to hell. And I would name them. All. I keep adding names to that list until I'm, I pray for them until, uh, until the day I die. So I would ask him to do that. And I, you know, I'm not sure if that happens, but I mean, maybe, it, uh, I, well, when, you, when we talk about the aberration I've had, I think you can understand what, what, why I had this aberration. Okay. So these people I felt bad about, Mike, and uh, I, that's what I did most of my time. I, I prayed for them, you know. So I worked during the day, special ed teacher, worked at night as a, uh, bar- a bartender in nightclubs for years. Oh, but that's where actually, if we have time, you know, when, in every nightclub I worked in, no matter where it was, uh, if some guy saw like some cute girls come in or a cute girl come in, they would say to me, who's that girl? Is she waiting for a date? Should I buy her a drink? Should I ask you to dance? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go over and talk to her for me. So every club was the same thing. So I'd go over and say, hi, you see that guy over there, <laughs> you know? And I'd try to, you know, hooked them up a little bit and the guys who actually uh went over on their own most of the time got shot down the girl would say to me who's that creeper who's that asshole over there and i would think what <laughs> right. this is before I wrote what do you mean I what did you and i would say to the guy what what did you say to her just uh, she's a lesbo i'm like no she's not you just don't know how to talk to people right. you know what i'm saying <laughs> So what I did was I decided I saw a problem and I decided uh, let me solve this problem for people. So I started interviewing the women that came into nightclubs about the proper way and how to approach them, how to look, how to act, how to behave. What's turning them on when we're talking to them? What's turning them off when we're talking? How do you ask for that date like a gentleman, you know, so you could get move along here a little bit? So uh, what happened was I interviewed 2,000 women. And uh, I found that in those interviews I did, I wrote a whole survey of questions that I thought were pertinent to this. So I found out that there was actually a really great answer for every question. And it was really a system that you could. So I wrote this book called How to uh, Pick Up Beautiful Women, Get Dates with Beautiful Women in Nightclubs or Any Other Place by John Egan. That's me, John Egan. And um, Men's Fitness Magazine sees me doing uh, one of these TV shows. And um, they call me and say, you know, we want to test this book. Sounds good. Uh, we want to test it and see if the, you know if it really works. So they took my book and other top-selling books on the market at the time and tested them. And when the article came out, <clears throat> they said that um, between 80 or 90% of the women that they approach using my techniques, they told the guys, just do exactly what the book says. Don't do anything that you think is right. They got a phone number and a date. And every other book who claimed that got zero, 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 zero. So my book just blew up every TV show, every radio show wanted to have me on and I just went with the wave so I just went you know well sure so you had a best-selling book and the thing though it wasn't like 
some kind of like now they talk about the game and stuff like that where you're trying to just pick oh yeah up no women. it wasn't nothing like no it was it was like a scientific way to do do this you know what i mean and it, t- it taught you every single step all the way along of uh, how to be a gentleman how to approach a woman because the first i mean i asked like women what's the, what turns you off about a man in a situation like this and they told me i had like 15 categories in the book of how men walk up to a woman and just instantly turn them off you sure. know and they don't they think they're doing the right thing they'll say something about their body or their you know what i mean and and that's kind of creepy to women but they thought that would be a really nice compliment you know if they had big you know, well, you know what I'm well, saying. Well, right? sure. Well, well if, a guy, if a guy says to a lady, you know, the things that men think are usually complimentary to women um, sometimes are not as intuitive as, as we would think. And Absolutely. so the book is not as much, I mean, a lot of it, which what I discovered when I was doing research on you, John, was because uh, I thought it was like, oh, it's just going to be a pickup book or something. But it's really more about how to get dates and meet people. And it's using respectful techniques in a lot of ways <laughs> instead of uh, yeah, it like was, psychological mind tricks. Exactly. <laughs> it, was t- it was what they told me what to do. It's not like I knew to tell guys what you're supposed to do. I asked the women. I got from the source. So that's why I think it was such a bestseller. And it, was, and it still sells to this day. It's like 20 years ago, but it's still selling to this day. So that's good. And I mean, I, talk, I did shows like Howard Stern. Howard Stern had like 14 million listeners at the time when I did his show, mm-hmm. you know. I did a lot of shows back then. I can tell you a really fast story about, uh, if, you, if you want to hear it, uh, Chris Brown. He was a rapper. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, him. of course. He's still... Yeah. So back in the day, he was uh, doing the same circuit I was doing. When you when you get like a little bit popular, uh, you go to Today in New York, Good Day New York, Good Morning America, all those morning shows in New York you go. And you get on the circuit. And if you're good, they, they want you to come back and, they, and everybody else actually come on. So Chris Brown was uh, beginning his, as a rapper back then. Right. So uh, he was uh, going out with a Rihanna at the time. And I think he beat her up or something like that. Yeah, right? there was a whole thing like where he hit her on the way to the Grammys. It was a scandal. Yeah, there was a whole scandal about that. So when you go to do an interview, you go into what they call their green room. And in there, there has bagels and coffees and there's a big plate glass window. And it's usually looking over Times Square or Rockefeller Center. That's where most of the studios are. Then you wait until they call you in. Then you go in and do your interview, right? So I used to see the, a lot of celebrities around back then, you know, budding celebrities, people who are already celebrities, because they're all being interviewed. And Chris Brown was around back then, right? So uh, I'm watching TV with my wife, and I see that uh, on, uh, on the news, like every news show, he, he got upset about somebody interviewing him about R- Rihanna. And he took the chair from the green room. You had to Google this and threw it right through the plate glass window, right out to the streets of Manhattan, right? And I said to my wife, "This guy's a genius. Look at all this uh, publicity he's getting." But take, I sat in those green rooms, you know, many, many times. I never thought to take the chair and throw it through the plate glass window. Right, right? Well, you get extra, extra publicity. <laughs> I got extra credit for that. I didn't realize it. I was, I was wondering, this guy's really a genius. But things like that happened back then, and. Um, and the book was a great sell, and it still sells to this day. So it, it went well. But I retired, though. But I, I miss uh, working in nightclubs. But I miss those people a lot. I mean, I, I can relate to almost anybody. But I just felt bad about the people who I knew who died, and I, and I kept praying for their souls, you know. So I think that's something that uh, sparked this uh, aberration that I had. And when I say it's the... Uh, the uh, antithesis of any kind of an aberration I've ever heard or read about. Once we start to get into it, I think you're going to understand what, why, you know. Okay. And I never had like a, a, a seance or I never used like Ouija boards. Uh, I, I never used tarot cards. I never like opened the door for this to come into this house here. So it's not like you set up some kind of 
uh, like incantation or something like that to try to get a demon to show up at your house. Yeah, and I would advise people not to do that because uh, I think when you do that, you allow him to, you know, like, because I've heard about people who have these things and, and the actual demon actually hurts the person, physically hurts them. But I'm going to, I'm gonna, when we, once we get into this apparition, I'm going to try to explain to you why I think that didn't happen to me, but it was, so, it was so different than any other one that I've ever, you know, heard or read well, about. Well, let's set it up a little bit here, okay? So you're, you work as a special ed teacher. You're also bartending in clubs at night. Uh, you you yeah. become an author, kind of are hitting the self-help circuit, helping men be a gentleman to women, not like Chris Brown. Uh, the the <laughs> <Yeah>. complete opposite <laughs> of a guy like Chris Brown. Um, so you're you're help you're helping men learn how to be a gentleman to women, and be, it's becoming very successful. Geraldo talks about it. Howard Stern, obviously, the most popular, oh yeah, the, yeah, popular TV shows and the most popular DJ in the planet. And then you yeah. go through that. Okay, so so what year do you retire from nightclubs and maybe? So I say, yeah. So I stopped doing that. Uh, yeah, I stopped doing. I stopped being. Well, when that was a bestseller, it gave me enough money to, to do whatever I wanted. So I, I decided, well, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'll spend some time thinking about other things other than that. And so, uh, yeah, so I stopped working. I missed the nightclubs. I kind of, I missed it uh, being a special ed teacher too, but uh, uh, not that much, though. To be honest with you, I do miss going out at night with these people because I really had. A, I mean, although they were, they were a lot of people died in a way that I say that's just a, in a wicked state. Uh, as uh, atheists, you know, like that. I just felt terrible. I just wish they would have, you know, got another 20 or 30 years and or 40 years to understand what life is about. Well, I feel like I, I understand you there because I have a, I have some friends that, um, well, p- passed away or drug overdoses or things like that or suicides. And you think that they're obviously in such pain. Something's wrong with them. Not not wrong with them, but they, they feel like something's wrong with them to such an extent that they have to self-medicate to the point where they die or they have to take their own life. And it does seem like those are the kind of souls you'd want to pray for because you'd hope that they found something on the other side that satisfied them in a way that life here could not. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I even have a nephew. I mean, all, all this, us family members were brought up the same way and we have our morals and religion. But uh, I just want to say one thing before we talk about the aberration, that people have enough power to change your mind about a lot of things. Like I have some nephews who were brought up in the, uh, in the religion and they, uh, uh, they went to work in New York and they became atheists. So now they're atheists. So somebody came along and talked them out of their love for God or belief in God and turned them into an atheist. And they really are staunch atheists today because even when I see them at some of our parties and I try to bring them back to, uh, to God, they just laugh at me and they tell me, you know, when God sticks his head out through the clouds and says, and says I'm God, then I'll, I'll believe in him again. And they would just laugh at me, you know. So people came and they took this away from other people. I just want to show you the power of this aberration that I had and this creature that, okay. I, that, that came in. And other time, and I have another relative. My wife goes to some of the hospitals. She helps people with MS. Uh, she brings them like food that they might want to eat and she helps feed. And she brings them some nice clothes, you know what I mean? Sometimes she brings them here in wheelchairs and we try to give them a nice lunch or something like that and feed the fish out in the pond stuff. And, um, and we were talking about that once, and a relative of mine said, oh, these people are better off dead. And I was thought, what happened to the compassion that was instilled in us? Somebody came and took that compassion and persuaded them that this is, this is the right thing is for them, these, these people, just to be dead. You know? so, but, so, this, so people have power to do that. So when we get into our aberration, I want to show you how much power this creature is going to have in the next life when we you know, pass over. Well, I just, just think that the idea that anyone thinks that another human being is, I mean, I know we think that in some ways, you know, people think about that, um, 
thinking about a human being like you think about uh, when your dog gets cancer or something like that or, you know, whatever, like that idea that, yeah, better off dead. Yeah. There's a sadness, there's an indignity to human life in that <laughs> that I find a little bit too, um, you know, that, that I myself, I would never wish somebody would be like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? We can put him out to pasture. He's better off that way. Yeah, and a lot of people think that way today. And I think this is what the uh, – the netherworld wants us. I mean, so many things have changed today. I mean, pornography is a multi-billion dollar business. Sex trafficking is a multi-million dollar, billion dollar business. Greed is rampant. Hatred is everywhere. There's like wars in every little country everywhere. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, adolescent, the uh, suicide rate has doubled in adolescent boys nowadays and tripled in adolescent girls. So I you wonder what is going on where people are doing that to themselves. You know, it's, uh, our technology is supposed to be a wonderful thing. You know, our iPhones and our computers and stuff. But somehow I think it's too too cold in there. You know, it's just, it's just like text words. It's not like it, it's pheromones being, you know, transmitted between human beings. Like when you see them and talk to them in their face. You know, I think this thing is working like a neutron bomb. When a neutron bomb goes off, it doesn't make a big explosion. But the neutrons go through the buildings and go through... Uh, uh, the ground and it goes to armor and it kills people from the inside and I think this something like that is happening here and I think that's what this this creature that came here is very uh, he's a, a lot about that he wants that to continue well let's talk about that because I mean that's an interesting theory and apply I mean the idea that suicide rates double or triple in any population group or anything I mean is a is a horrifying idea because that's not being killed by an outside force that's not a that's the invader from within and I think that's an interesting analogy you're using with that to the yeah. that to the neutron bomb but a bomb that was designed to kill all the people but keep all the buildings standing exactly and so let's talk about a little I was just trying to get into your history so you retired you're able to uh, go on to the next phase of your life try new things and with your family and everything did you be and, yeah. and so you became an artist after that. Oh yeah, so I always, I always was an artist. I always won a lot of art contests when I was a young kid. I had this a small talent that God gave me, and uh, and and I won big art, uh, uh, you know, contests. And I've been in uh, since as as a young guy, I've been into many magazines and newspapers. But uh, about two years ago, uh, I just went. Well, I'm telling you, I'm an artist because if you go to John Egan E A G A N dot com, you'll see uh, the cover of the book, and that's where actually you can get the ebook right there. Just a few buttons, and you'll it'll come right into your email. But right there. Well, because I'm an artist and because I, what I saw during this aberration, I was able to uh, get that into my mind and put that on paper because I, I have that ability to do that. But just to show you that I do have a good, a pretty good ability, uh, but about a year or so ago my wife was in charge of the adoration chapel uh when you put jesus out in the monastery you burn candles when they burn down you're supposed to throw them out so uh my wife kept them all and i saw in the basement boxes and boxes of these candles i said what are you doing with all these little candles in there she said well they're so special i kept jesus company i didn't have the heart to throw them away she said you're an artist why don't you do something with them and i was thinking yeah yeah that's true i i could so i took them i melted them all down it was about 50 pounds of uh of, of wax of those the, the wax candles and I carved out a, a bust of Jesus I figured well if they, these candles kept them company maybe they, maybe they should take on the image of Jesus but it got so everybody wanted to see that every magazine newspaper wanted to come over and interview me about it which was r really nice uh, Ripley's believe it or not wanted to buy it I tell them, yeah, well, if you want to buy it, it's going to be like a million dollars, so I'm not going to sell it to you. So they called me about three times since then. It's in their 20, uh, 2018 uh, publication, uh, the, the Buster Jesus and, and me. Uh, 
USA Today, my, my wife usually answers the phone and, and lines me up or whatever, who's, who's uh, going to want to interview me or talk to me. She goes to me one, the other day, oh, about a year ago, uh, the big boys are on the phone for you. I go, who's the big boy? She goes, USA Today. I go, that's great. you know. <laughs> so they came over, they did the interview. Uh, they put a full page. I mean, USA Today goes all around the world. They're the first, you know, when everybody quotes when anything happens. Oh, yeah. And I was you know, so, so happy that the secular world was actually interested in this. So I'm a good artist. So I was able to depict exactly what I saw. So if you go to uh, john-eagan.com, uh, you'll see what I saw. And then we're going to probably start to talk about it now when, when anytime Mike wants to start. Yeah, well, I think, I think that's where we get to it. So can, let's set up what happened. So we're, we're setting up that you're religious in your life and, uh, you know, devout enough that you created a, a beautiful artwork uh, a Jesus that was featured, you know, internationally, and you've been a lifelong churchgoer and, and things like that. And so I kind of want to set up that um, because sometimes these things happen to atheists, sometimes people have the religious people, sometimes these things happen to people of different religions. So I kind of wanted to set right. you up as a person and yeah. get your history. And so, right, so let's let's set up the you know what was the date uh, that you you know first saw this apparition? Like what were you doing? Can you? You know, yeah. when we normally think about our lives, we think about, well, that's what we go. We go to the kitchen to make dinner or I just I get off the <laughs> bus and, you know, walk up the stoop to the apartment. So uh, how do you, you know, how do you set up? What were you doing when all of a sudden something crazy like this happens to you? Yeah. Well, I learned a lot about this, believe it or not. And I'm trying to explain to you how these things behave because I didn't realize that I was very naive about this because I'm not a person who gets, you know, demons come, come around. I mean, I just not. This, I'm not experienced in that. So let me try to explain to you. I have this ha- house, beautiful home. It's on an acre of property. Uh, I had three boys uh, grow up here. Uh, my, uh, I have it's a huge basement downstairs, uh, and the garages are, and the basement are all on the same level because the house is kind of like on a hill. So you pull into the garages under the house, and then you walk under the house this with a basement, then you walk up the steps to the kitchen. So when my boys were getting older, they wanted to have a bigger, like a little apartment for themselves and, and their own way to get in without coming into the front door, back door. So I, I, I finished off the basement and cut it in half and made an apartment down there. So I had an apartment down there. So my last boy, it, it was there, but he just moved out. But, so anyway, that's the house. And then there's a living room upstairs. I have a sectional couch like everybody has. And uh, I sit there a lot and I do my meditation there. So about a year ago, around probably this time, about, well, a little, yeah, about a year ago, about this time, uh, I'm sitting there. Uh, I'm home alone, and there's a metal door between the garage and, and the basement. And I could almost hear that uh, when somebody comes in from where I, where I am in the living room. Uh, but this time, I, the door slams, slams with a, a force that even my wife, I, I knew it couldn't be my wife, slams that door so hard. And I'm thinking, what was that? Because my son, I mean, he's a strong guy. He probably maybe could slip. But why would he do that? I'm thinking to myself, did he have a car accident? Did he break up with his girlfriend? But what slammed that door so hard? So I got up and I yelled at Johnny, are you down there? And he's like, no, I didn't hear anything. I got my flashlight. I went downstairs. The door is just closed. Fine. Uh, and I look everywhere down there uh, under the steps. I look in the closets. I look in the furnace room. I look under the beds. I look everywhere. Nobody came in. I, well, I have a camera system, so I come upstairs. I roll back to you know the the the, uh, the, uh, the digital camera, and nobody was on the property. I look uh, the, at the cameras that are facing the garage doors and the side garage door. Nobody opened those doors. So I'm, nobody was on the property. What did that? So it's uh, it was felt, but I felt something was menacing or sinister 
uh, ominous. I mean, the only word I think they could describe it is just something evil. I just felt an evil presence in the house. But I could not explain it. I had no idea, Mike, uh, what was going on, to be honest with you. Okay. But uh, now I've learned of its behavior. And, and I, well, let me just keep going and then we'll talk Please about do. that. So then now uh, there's steps from the basement up, up to the uh, kitchen. And the kitchen and the living room are uh, side by side. And there's big openings there, so I could hear, I could hear something really heavy walking on the steps. So I'm thinking, I just checked down there. I know no, nothing was down there. I looked in the camera system. I know this. So I get up. I look. There's no nobody on the steps. So, and I still feel this menacing, inauspicious kind of a feeling of evil. So I sit down again. I didn't know what to do. And then I could hear it. It would walk like very heavy it felt like something maybe three or four hundred pounds walking because every when you live in the house you know all the footsteps of everybody sure. and you, you could almost know what but and then it would go down the end of the hall and slam behind me is the, the the bedrooms and it would slam the bedroom doors so now mike i i kind of thought i knew it was something i felt it was evil i felt it was menacing i didn't know how to really even explain this to my wife or I didn't want to tell her that you know I think there's something evil in the house and go out and play golf or something like that you know what I mean how could I leave her here like this I didn't say anything so the thing is we'll be we'll be sitting together on the uh, on the sectional couch and in in the uh, living room and then we would hear again it walking up the steps and my wife would say that's Johnny that's what is that's weird now well me actually when she first came home that that day she said to me something feels weird in this house she said to me and I, I didn't want to say anything to her because I I, I I thought I knew what it was but you're just not sure Mike and, you know you just can't say something you sound like a crazy person if you say something like that you know I think something got in this house but. so your wife felt the exact same kind of feeling yeah aggressive so we would, feeling that you did yeah so when then we both both heard together the, the footsteps on the steps and she would say she would yell Johnny is that you Johnny she would get off the couch and look and then she would come back to him what is that she would say to me and I would say I, I don't know Lillian I just really don't know what that is uh, but the thing about having uh, two people hear the same exact thing at the same time and not only that three people did because my son Johnny it was this creature first of all its behavior was it wanted me to know it was here or it wasn't passing through or this wasn't a social visit it was in its way, telling me it's in this house and present in this house. So I knew it was here, and now he's telling my wife he's here. You know what I'm saying? He's making it plain to her that he, he's in this house too. This is how this thing behaved. I didn't realize this at the time. So, um, I mean, even if both of us were doing it like a drug or we both had a, a, a reaction to a medication or something like that and we had a hallucination we wouldn't have the exact one you could ask any psychiatrist in the world no two people if they're doing a drug or something like that will have the exact same hallucination at the same time it's impossible right, it's weird. so none of us do that so that's why this is this story is so true because we and not only the two of us but the three of us eventually heard the same thing and so so this is happening now. Uh, at night when we were sleeping, like I still didn't want to say to my wife what I thought it was. When we were sleeping at night, which in our bedroom, like you feel like you're supposed to be safe there, right? Uh, I mean, I have a camera system, I have a security system. You think you're safe, right? And when you're sleeping in your bedroom at night, but then we, I, I hope would, so. We woken up by this noise. 
You would hope so. But I was woken up by this breathing noise of something that sounded like maybe a, a, a buffalo breathing, like the so deep and uh, uh, that kind of a noise of a brain. It would that wake me up. And, uh, and then it would wake my wife up and she would say, what is that? This is ridiculous. It's horrible. So she was so frightened about it. And I still didn't want to say what I thought it was. But we have a beach house. So it was summertime last year. So we would go down to the beach house on the weekend. And sometimes my son would come down there with his girlfriend. Sometimes he would stay home. But this time he stayed home. And he calls the beach house and goes, are you, are you guys down at the beach house? He was talking to my wife. She goes, yeah, we're down at the beach house. He goes, well, something is in this house, he says to her. So she goes, what do you mean? So she says, well, when I'm downstairs in, in, in my apartment, I hear something really heavy walking around upstairs. And then I hear the doors slamming, the bedroom doors slamming. Then when I come upstairs, I hear it downstairs. My, he, he hears his bedroom door slamming. He has a glass uh, sliding closet door. He hears that slamming back and forth. So he goes, well, what is that? So my wife says to me, you know, when we get home, we're, we're going to have to talk about this. So, well, I was well like, real oh, quick, well, is this oh, this is over the course of a week, a couple weeks? So, yeah, a couple weeks, about yeah, like during the summertime, about three or four weeks in the summertime. Okay. Yeah. So this thing, I didn't realize it at the time. It, like I said, it wasn't here for a social call. It wasn't passing through. It that it was his way of showing me he's in this house. He's present in this house. He was showing my wife he's present in this house to her, and he's now showing my son he is in this house, like he's like taking his position in this house. So I didn't realize that at the time. So when we got home, my wife said, "You know, do we have to have like a, a exorcism done here or something?" And I was like, "I don't know. Could you go talk to the priest over there?" I was thinking, "I don't know, Lillian, because uh, the pre- you know we know those the priests and all the." person is so well they come here for like a garden party every spring uh, they come here for some time for dinner and you know for meeting and stuff now i gotta go over to one of these priests and say guess what you know i think uh, uh, i think there's a big there's a demon in my house and uh, can you know, i just couldn't do that you know, I, I don't know mike i don't know could you do that i'm not sure <laughs> well you weren't ready to make that leap because the thing is how many times does a priest actually run into something that's demonic or whatever and so even, right. even your priest might think you're a little like what's he doing not or something. Yeah, that's what I would think. But, uh, but I mean, I know me for so many years. I know I'm not a crazy, but we're a normal family, you know. So I, I just couldn't. It was well, probably said it's going to be my last resort. So Michael, so now this creature, it it made it it, it accomplished what it wanted to accomplish. It, it wanted me to know it was here. Wanted my wife to know it was here. And wanted my son to know it was here. So we knew it was here. I mean, we'd even hear it all at the same time if we were having dinner. We'd hear something like slamming down in the basement, you know. So, like, we all hear it exactly the same time. So that would be impossible, even if we all were on drugs, that all of us would have the same hallucination. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'll try to start to tell you exactly what happened when it finally, uh, you know, finally uh, uh, showed me what it was. You want me to start oh, that? Please, please do. So this is over the course of – we're going over the course of several weeks – you're you're feeling that there's evil in your house. Your wife is feeling it. Your son is feeling weird about it. And he, and everybody's hearing strange things going on in your home. At the same time, not even like di- at different times. We've, we heard it even at the same time, you know? And, and so all this weird stuff is happening. And then yeah. when does it finally escalate? So now um, uh, people are out. My son's at work. My wife's doing something somewhere. I'm sitting on the, uh, the sectional couch again in the living room. It's a big living room, so there's a lot of room there. I have a uh, glass, little glass table on the side. Uh, because I'm Catholic, I do most of my prayers on my rosary beads. So, I, and I do meditate for about an hour and a half a day. Uh, so I would do that, and I was finished with a, a set of rosary, and I put the, my rosaries on the glass table next to me. And I sat there for a second, 
thinking about what I was going to do that day. And then all of a sudden, my, on the side of my peripheral vision, the air from, from the table to the wall was starting to ripple. Like, uh, like if you threw a rock into a, a pond and you know how the water starts to ripple? Mm-hmm. Well, the air was doing that. And I thought there was something wrong with my eyesight. So I got up a little bit to see what was I looking at. And then that turned into a uh, blue wall of flames. Blue. Like, they weren't red. They were blue. And I'll try to discuss this with you as we get into this. So I see a giant blue wall of flames. And then I start seeing something very slowly, these like uh, almost like coral, long pieces of coral. Start to, I, didn't, I thought it was coral. And I, you know, my mind was just like thinking, what, what, what am I seeing? What, what is going on? And I just see them just coming, passing in like really slowly at its own time. Like, Mike, if you ever went to a board meeting and then all the subordinates come in and they're fixing their ties, they're fixing their notes, they're fussing with their skirts, they get there early, they're a little nervously. But when the CEO walks in, he owns the room. I don't know if you ever experienced that. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He comes in on his time when he feels they're coming in. He owns the room. He takes a superior seat. He starts when he wants to start. That's how this aberration was happening to me. It wasn't like when you mostly see or read about when there's lightning, wind flashing, screaming, horrible noises, things flying around. Nothing like that. Nothing at all like that. It was just this creature... Making its way in on his time. So I see, and these, these pieces of coral, probably, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but coming out of his forehead, it was, it was about two, two, two and a half feet long. If you go to john-egan.com, you can see what I saw because I'm an artist and I did exactly, exactly, I burnt this into my mind when, when I was looking at it. And you'll see exactly what I saw. So it comes all the way in, Michael. It's in this blue flames, right? Blue. They weren't red like fire that you normally see. Uh, and it goes only up to, his whole head comes through up to its like top of its neck. And I think it did that. It wanted to deliver a message to me, but I, it did it that way, I think, because if it probably came in here screaming and fire and, you know, I probably would have maybe ran out of the house, of I, I would think. I'm not sure. I think anybody at, would. At the same time, though, what do you feel? So you see that with your eyes. Um, yeah. What's the sound? Is there yeah. is there a smell associated with it? Do you right, does it exactly. feel hot? Like what's the what's the rest yeah. of your? You senses? would think so. You would think so. This blue flame, I came to realize, and I'll tell you what it, it told me about it. But I came to realize, like you know, we have flame too for flesh and blood, and that like uh, keeps us warm. We could cook with it. You could forge steel together. You know, and it's red. This is a this is like uh, a fl- another miracle of a flame. I believe God created for his burning detestation for sin. I think this is what this was. And it was, like like you said, I could not hear it burning anything because I imagine it, who would, who's going to keep putting stuff on this to keep the flame going in hell? I don't right. think anybody was. Uh, I, I couldn't smell it. It didn't smoke like it was it was using up. You know, when you smoke, it's like the residence, res, residual of whatever that's burning. It didn't have any smoke. It was just a giant blue flame that this thing was in but he um he owned it he like mike if if, uh, if if you came if i was in jail and you came there and they had me in there for doing some really terrible crime and anybody who came there i would tell you immediately i didn't do this i don't belong here right, right. that's not what this creature did this creature owned his surroundings 
it was just to him. This, this chastisement that he was in was just. He, he owned it. He, he didn't have any complaint about it at, at all. Okay. He, uh, yeah. So um, I stood up. And it came as far as it was going to go. I think that's part of the reason why I probably didn't have to. I didn't run out of the house screaming or something like that, <laughs> because I saw that it might not be able to go any further than that. You know what I mean? I thought, I, I, like when when I, when I used to you read about you know, these devils from they were angels at one time, and they and then when they convinced a third of the like these these uh, powerful devils like this convinced a bunch of angels, and they all you know like a third of the angels went to uh, gone to hell. So why why are they roaming the earth if they're in hell? But this thing brought us hell with it, so I guess maybe they're always in their hell, no matter where they go. Okay. And it didn't. So now I have this, these blue flames. I have the f- complete head of this demon, and his eyes were black. He looked. He he was looking straight at me. hadn't said anything yet. Just looked straight at me, like when two men have a conversation. Uh, they use a little bit on an angle to each other. They're not totally confrontational, like right in your face. That's what this thing was doing. It was uh, it was 100% hatred. It wasn't like 99.9% hatred. It was 100% hatred. That's something I couldn't uh, figure out at this point anyway, and I could see how much it hated everything. Uh, right. So now I'm, I'm there with this, and uh, I'm thinking, well, okay. Uh, I kind of thought this something like this might happen. I, I didn't know it was going to happen like this way, but I knew, you know, because of the, it, it made me known that it was in the house. I guess it was prepping me for when it was going to come and actually confront me you know so you didn't run away so you figured that there might be a confrontation or you might see something eventually because you kept on hearing things for so long and everybody was hearing stuff yeah so i knew it it knew how to make me aware of itself you know what i mean in its way and i mean those things that came out of it like if you went to like i said earlier john dash egan e-a-g-a-n dot com you could see what i saw those things coming out of the front of its forehead i mean had the top of his head was like uh, a horseshoe crabs like kind of a thing okay it was like there was no hair or nothing on top of his head it was just like these these horns coming out in, in many different directions i mean those horns coming out of the front he could just ram, it seemed like he could just ram that right into you and shove you right into the wall with him but uh he didn't do anything like that uh his face his face was like i i could there's a lot of things i can't figure out and i put it in the book and i hope that people could read it they uh, uh i put every detail i could possibly you know remember in the book uh like, like his face was—I can't say flesh and blood—but it was. It moved when he spoke. Uh, it looked like it could be flesh and blood. But how could flesh and blood be not burnt up while it's in the middle of, in, of this big flame? And I, that's something that is unfathomable. I can't explain those things. You know, it's just well, what it is. I so guess. now, when you saw this apparition, was it see-through or anything? Was it translucent? No. Was it or is it straight up like like there was a guy? in blue fire, I mean, a, yeah. fa- a face in blue fire with crazy stuff on its head, straight up yeah. black eyes just looking at you. So it, it Exactly, yeah. Exactly like it would be for any person standing there, if you could imagine that, in a, in a, in a shower of blue, blue flames. Exactly. Like you can, it wasn't like transparent. Like you hear a lot of these things where they go so transparent. They see, now, this was, a, this was three-dimensional. It made a fourth dimension. I don't know, it has the power to do that, to make a fourth dimension. Uh, we all know about three dimensions, but I mean, this fourth dimension, it has the power to open and close a fourth dimension if it wants to. I mean, it has the power to be invisible. It has the power to slam doors. It has the power to walk like it's 300 pounds when you don't even see it. It's amazing the power that this this creature has. But these creatures were created before time began 
by God, and he made them very powerful. Uh, but they decided they're going to go off on their own, and they and they convinced a third of the angels to come with it. I, I, that's the stories that you hear, and I, I kind of believe them now. Uh, you know. Well, you see that you're feeling it. You're you're looking straight at this demon, this creature. This, I mean, and what does it say to you? Well, it says to me. Uh, I wasn't saying anything. I was just looking at it. Like maybe I was a little bit in shock. But the first thing is maybe a little bit in shock. Not, yeah. <laughs> so the first thing I hear, it, it moved its mouth. And uh, you know, when you talk to somebody, and you, if you're looking at their lips, it kind of coincides with what they said. But this probably had a different language. But it was making me understand what it said. It didn't say much. It chose this words like fastidiously with care. It said no more. It said to me like that. No more. And I didn't ask him what that meant. I just thought maybe he meant no more, no more prayers or no more trying to save souls. Because I know when souls are coming in their direction, they want them. For some reason, they want our souls really badly. I don't know if it's to get even with God. I don't know why they do to, for, to have more souls in hell. I, guess. I, I have no idea. But it just was telling me no more. Was it the first thing you thought of was that the, when you were praying and you, you, you prayed for the souls of the people that you used to know... And so did, yeah. did, you, did you make that connection right away or later on that it might be like, hey, stop praying, stop praying for your friends? Yeah, I made that connection right away because I thought that's exactly because I do that every single day. And I think I may blo- I have blocked uh, people who may have uh, had – who because I know in my religion, we, we, we read that uh, souls fall into hell like uh, snowflakes from the sky. But and, – and, and especially if nobody is there to pray for them. So I thought maybe I could stop some of them, but apparently I, I, I must be doing that because it said no more in a very 100% hateful way. And it also, when I, because of the fire was so intense, like I couldn't hear it, but it was just like I was looking at blue flames, like I've never seen anything like that before. And it said um, that the, uh, the, uh, the, the these flames will only affect your spirit. So like, uh, you know that, so I felt okay. I, I, I think I understand what he's saying now. You know, and all flames here could burn my flesh and blood, but I guess I had to be a spirit in order to be affected by those blue f- flames. You know, and I tell my wife, if anybody tells you they saw hell, the flames of hell, and they say they're red, <laughs> then they didn't ever saw the flames of hell right. because the one I saw was blue. And she was like, well, maybe this other. I don't know. It's hard. It, I mean, all of this is so hard to explain. Well, how long was it in the room with you? It was there for a while, so it tells me you know, no more. It explained to me that uh, those flames are only going to affect my spirit, you know. Uh, it was 100% hatred, and I tell people, don't leave this planet if you're hating your brothers or sisters or neighbor or any race, religion, or nationality. Just because these people know, these creatures know how to, they're not people, these creatures know how to bewitch your spirit. They're going to help you use that hatred to alleviate all your pain. They know how to do that. I mean, they convinced a third of the angels to follow them. It's not going to be a hard job to convince you to come with them, especially if you die and you're by yourself, you have no support. When you die alone, you die alone. Just like you're born alone, you die alone. And I mean, maybe like when I was thinking to myself, maybe my, my brother died and these little demons are grabbing him and bringing him into the dark part of that room. Maybe they bring him to these, this, these like hierarchy demons and they convince you because they're so good at persuasion that they convince you that, that you could use that hatred down here, you know what I mean, to alleviate all your pain. They have many wiles and deceptions, you know. Mm-hmm. They know how to seduce, entice, and beguile your soul while you're standing there as a, a spirit. You know, they're prepared to offer you a lot of 
interesting options and they're very powerful and they're very persuasive and they're so so more intelligent than we are because they they were created before the beginning of time by the creator and then it wasn't like he created you know parent angels and they taught baby angels no they were all created at the same time with all all the information in their in their being it wasn't like I had to learn it. You know what I mean? And so you felt that, you felt the hatred, you felt how intelligent it was, you felt how beguiling it, it was when it was there. So it was there for a few minutes, sounds like. Right. Don't let me forget to tell you what it did before it left and how I finally got rid of well, it. Well, that's okay. So, yes. so let's, go, let's go in. So you're sitting there and uh, yeah. it's looking, he it says, no more. And then you realize that the, the flames aren't... Uh, I mean, they're they're flames that burn your soul. They don't burn your physical body. And then what happens? Yeah, like what happens next? Is you're staring at the thing, and so I've, and, yeah, and, and you you feel the hatred, and you're are you freaked out? Are are you sitting there in your or are you in their mind? Like are you are you feeling pretty cool about the whole thing, or are you crapping your pants? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you think you would be crapping in your pants at this point, right? right. But uh, I was, because I'm an artist, I was trying to, and you know, drive this image into every every part of it. I was trying to memorize because I knew this was going to be a one-time thing. I thought anyway, because I mean, it did say one other thing that uh, kind of scared me a little bit. It said, "I am many, and many more wicked than I." It said. So I thought maybe is that a uh, is that a uh, uh, you know something trying trying to. Uh, scare me that maybe there's going to be more coming and yeah. even worse than him you know what I mean so I mean it did. I did say that but I, did, I don't know what that means at this point other than there's probably a lot of them there you know a lot of them behind him uh, so and, and it was I told you 100% hatred it just st- stood there staring at me confrontationally never, never took its eyes off of me except for before it left and before it left it was a few feet from where I keep the rosaries that I have on, on my glass table by, by the sectional over there. It looked down at my rosaries. It looked down at, up at me again, and his face started to puff up. And it spit a, saliva, a spit, a bunch of saliva right on my rosary beads. Of It's trying to show me its detestation for, for, for praying or for God. And a spit, I saw the spit fly out of its mouth onto the rosaries. And I'm thinking to myself, how is this possible? This is happening. That's what it started like really hitting me. I mean, this thing is sitting in blue flames. How does it get saliva if you're sitting in a fire? You know, I mean, how is this? face not burnt? Like you would think it would be burnt flesh, but his flesh, his face was fine. I mean, there's so many things I just can't even understand to this day that I, I go over and over and over. And I put every single detail in the book, like I say. And, um. So it does that, and then as it came in, like it owned the place, that's how it left. It just backed, it just kept staring straight in my eyes after it spit on my rosaries and just backed away very slowly, just the way it came in until all, all of his protrusions from his forehead passed through the flames. The flames started to dissipate a little bit, and the rippling of the air dissipated, and, and it was gone. And that's how, it, how that ended. But I, I, the next day, I get up first thing in the morning because I'm Catholic. I went to a, a church. I, re- I received the, the host of Jesus. I came home. Uh, my wife keeps a thing of uh, uh, holy water in the kitchen. So I took the holy water. And I said, and, and put it by the power of Jesus Christ, uh, I command you to leave this house immediately. Because in the Bible, Jesus says, you know, I, could, I can uh, Cast raise away the demons. dead. Cast demons, yeah. 
yeah, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast away demons. I mean, he said that. I believe it. So I went through every single room saying that. I even went to the attic. I went downstairs in the in basement, in the furnace room. I went through each bedroom. And then the last bedroom I went into when I was saying that, and, and sp- I felt the curtains and the blinds move like in a swoosh kind of thing. And it, and it left the house. And I, it's not, it hasn't even been a bump in the night for, for over a year now since, since that left. Well, I mean, but the thing is it showed up in a big way. Yeah. So hold on though. When, you're, when, you, when your wife comes home and your son comes back from work, uh, did you say like, hey, you know who's been banging around? I, uh, I know. Yeah, he, he, he came in the living room. I know. You think I could say that, right? I couldn't say that. You know that? I couldn't put those words together. I, I, my wife said, what are we going to do about it? I said, all I could tell her is it's gone. She was like, what? I said, it's gone. How do you know? I couldn't say those words. So because I'm an artist and an author, I, I started draw, drawing. You know, I was going to do the outline of this thing before I painted it. And I was drawing it and drawing it. And I was, and I was typing out exactly every single detail that I could remember from this aberration, how it started and how it ended. And uh, then my wife was asking me, why are you drawing a, a picture of a, of a demon? And I was, I was uh, I'm gonna, you're going to have to read it, I said to her, because I can't put this into words just right now. And for some reason, when I went to try to tell her, it, the words wouldn't come out. I don't know, maybe I was still in shock or something. I'm not sure. Or maybe you weren't ready to share the fact that you saw something you can't explain until you had a chance to get all the details out formulate it yeah like most guys would probably like when they get home from work they can't even talk to their wife until they formulate the whole day so i guess there's some kind of psychology to that but for this it was like i had to i, I had to get it down so i just every day was just typing and typing and typing uh, to get it down and drawing and drawing and drawing till this thing was completely done because every time i tried to i said no you're gonna have to you know Lillian, you're gonna have to read what, what you could read what i'm typing but i just can't get it out right now exactly what happened but I was able to get it down. I was able to draw it completely. Like if you went to john-egan.com, you can see exactly what I saw. And that's where you get the ebook. A few, a few clicks and it'll come right into your email. But that's, uh, I know, I couldn't explain it for, for, for probably a good month until I completely finished uh, typing the, the experience. And I had that down on paper. And I, and I read it over to myself. And I said, is there anything that I can think that I, I, because I, I, I really was burning this into my mind when it was in front of me because I knew this was going to be maybe a one-time thing. Uh, I would love to be able to relate this to other people that maybe that could help. Even if we, Mike, even if this, this thing helps one person, we really accomplish something today. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, so you, then you decide to write and release the book and, right. so, yeah. um, and hoping that other people might understand. Now, have you talked to your brother? About the whole thing and said like, no. hey, you know, I, I've been visited as well. No, I haven't told them about that. I don't know why. Uh, I haven't told any of my family about it, but the book is getting like pretty popular. So it's getting out there and people are buying it. So I guess eventually we'll have to uh, eventually talk about it, uh, I guess. It's, it's, it's like really for somebody that close to me, to, it really, it's really some pretty heavy stuff. You know, it'd be uh hard to ex- uh, understand you know like if something this, this happened to one of my brothers this is, i understood what happened to my brother though pretty you know i probably will eventually have to tell them about this i mean i'm sure i will uh but they know i write books so it's not like a big you know that's not like uh I, I don't i didn't really tell them about this experience but uh you know when my brother told me about his experience it was uh i felt uh, a lot of empathy for him and and now he's a completely different person. Like I say, he's a, did a 180 degree turn. But no, I haven't really told everybody about this yet. Uh, you know, my the, the closest people to me, except my, my my own family. 
you know, yeah, don't have to tell this to my sisters or brothers. Just keep it for, between us for, for a while anyway. And so, but now you're, I mean, now you're out and you're ready to tell the world that, you know, you saw something incredible. Um, you had occurrences in your house and it's a message of, um, you know, try to keep love in your heart so that devil doesn't come for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about hatred is so, I mean, it's so heavy. It weighs you down. I mean, you can only fly if you take yourself lightly. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, sure. and these creatures, they know how to, uh, to use that hatred. Uh, it's, it's a shame because there's so much hatred nowadays. I mean, I'm sure they're getting a lot of like business, I guess, down there, uh, you know, with these people who want to use, who hate and want to use that hatred. But I mean, this is why the book is called Between Love and Hate. I mean, there's nothing but love on, on the other side, but there's nothing but hate. And yet, like, if, uh, you know, this, if you have to go with this creature, it's, you're not going to be your jovial self, you know what I mean? Drinking, laughing, smoking, and all that other thing. You have to become one of these creatures. You're not going to just exist with 100% hatred and not be 100% hatred yourself. You're going to have to, and this is going to be, that's a scary thing about it. Uh, I mean, you have to love God, but you have to fear his power. He has the power to put you there for all of eternity, never think twice about you. That's the thing that you can't go there. You know, the thing I'm trying to drive uh, into people's minds, you can't go leave this uh, earth with hatred in your heart, and you can't go there. I mean, that's, for, that's forever. It's, it's almost, if you think about it, you can almost drive yourself crazy thinking that it's mind-boggling to think that that's for, forever. Well, 100% hatred, you know what I'm saying? How have you changed? Since you had the experience, have 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 you found yourself change a little bit? Yeah, I even feel I even pray more nowadays, and I even feel more obligated to tell people about this. You know what I mean? And uh, and I and I meditated on this Latin, and well, I'm in church, and they're like, "What do you want me to do with this? You gave me this." I felt that it was like a gift almost that God gave me, and. Jesus came in and I thought, what do you want me to do this? And I felt that something spoke into my heart to, to reach out to you people, believe it or not. So somehow, Mike, you're in this circle somewhere All right. in there. <laughs> because, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people now want to interview me, so it was the right direction to go. So it's, it's what I'm going to do with it then. Well, I, you know? I do think it's a powerful message and the, the idea that it's easy to feel good about righteous anger. It's easy to be, uh, to be full of hate. It's easy to... Uh, kind of so easy to, to revel in that and, and it feels good sometimes to use that yes and the idea that uh, that never leads to a good place and in, Absolutely in fact not. it leads to it leads to a place of blue flames where the fire only burns your soul leaves your skin fine and burns your soul and no thanks yeah it's amazing <laughs> amazing right yeah so uh, Johnny I thank you for joining us today I had a, a really good time talking to you and your experience Mike I had a wonderful time you were a great interviewer thank I you so much that. your experience is exceptional and you guys can check out uh, at john-egan.com or you can find links to John's work at othersidepodcast.com slash two zero well Wendy what do you think you think the devil is real Man, all I can say is I'm glad it wasn't me that had that experience. <laughs> right. Because that, <laughs> you talked about, you know, soiling your armor a bit if that yeah. happened. Definitely. Right. You saw yeah. that in your home. <laughs> but the thing yeah, it's is, quite a compelling story. Yeah. And, and also that the paranormal activity was happening in the home that his wife and his son had to deal with even previously. So there's already some, some kind of haunted or poltergeist element there. Like I'd say that definition of a poltergeist, you know, noisy ghost like that. He was getting the noisy ghost action in the house before this oh, thing happened. Yeah, yeah, that's spooky. <laughs> uh, 
but what I have to say is, you know, I'm always the kind of guy that not necessarily I don't believe the devil is real, but I just don't get into demons like everybody else does. Okay. You know, I don't think I don't think the Ouija board is dangerous. I don't think Dungeons and Dragons is dangerous. I don't think opening up a portal of the dark side is dangerous. But mm. you know, we did have I did have a lot of things go wrong when we worked on the Jack Parsons episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. And everything in my life seems to have been fixed since then or at least everything that was broken you know all of the electronic because i don't normally have that many electronic snafus and losing my phone and all that kind of crap and you don't blame mercury every time it happens either (laughs) right it's just oh mercury is in retrograde you know man but i have to say uh i am fearful about using that name that that we even named the song really yeah and i have a so i find myself being superstitious for the first time in my life that's amazing because yeah you are the one that always you know i'll call up things and say like "Ooh, we shouldn't shouldn't do this or walk into that ladder and you're always like i'm not superstitious so i'm surprised to hear (laughs) you say that mike finally something has happened that has made me kind of superstitious so much so that i didn't even say the name (laughs) when i was like yeah i can't say the name Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's just funny. So something that's kind of started off as a joke. I'm like, oh, I can't believe all this stuff's going wrong. You know what? I blame it on. I blame it on this. And then, uh, but I haven't said the name and nothing bad's happened. So this is how superstitions begin. <laughs> so is the devil real? I have no idea. Uh, but John Egan said he saw something and it's a good story and it's a scary story. So live your life, live your life right, everybody. Yeah. In the, in the words of Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, work out. Um, don't use don't use the other words Hulk Hogan used the the ones that got get kicked out. Oh but, no! But make sure you use uh, in the words of Hulk Hogan. Say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and work out. You know one thing about uh, John Egan and the fact that I mentioned earlier that we you know love his accent and it was such a like an East Coast accent, and that made me think about. Uh, when I interviewed Glenn Danzig. Oh, yeah. Okay, and this is a while ago. So this is when his album Circle of Snakes came out. And so Glenn Danzig... <laughs> Great name for an album. <laughs> Circle of Snakes. But the thing is, <laughs> I expected to answer the phone when Glenn Danzig calls and like flames to shoot out of it. <laughs> right? Okay. And that didn't happen? No. Glenn Danzig Aww. just... He was just sounded like a real nice New Jersey guy who just liked goth stuff. Okay. The conversation was completely normal. We were just talking about Edgar Allan Poe and the horror movies that inspired him and things. And it wasn't this kind of, like I expected him to be like, worship the devil, man. Oh, my God. You know, like, it really was not like that at all. It was just a pleasant Aww. interview encounter. And so because of that, it made me think about that. We wanted to do a real Misfits-inspired kind of New Jersey punk rock horror track here. <laughs> and so we, we took the inspiration from what the devil told John Egan. The, the big blue face shows up and says, no more. So we thought that would be the inspiration for this Misfits homage. Sunspot with no more.
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. I say no more forgetting to thank our Patreon community. I would never want to forget that. They are the coolest people we know. So earlier in the show, we told you about the email list and being Facebook friends. And, on the, you know, that's a great way to communicate with us and subscribe and we can communicate back and forth. But an even better way to communicate back and forth is become part of our Patreon community. Yes. So much fun talking to our Patreons each month during our hangout which is online, so everybody can be involved, not just people here in Madison, Wisconsin. And our Patreons are good friends that we communicate with regularly, and it's fun. I've learned a lot from them and been tipped off to some great movies and shows and also some locations that I plan on visiting, some spooky locations. Yes. So the Patreon community is part of the fun thing of the See on the Other Side community, and you can check that out at othersidepodcast.com slash donate, much like Dr. Ned checked it out and we shout out to him in every single episode. Here's to you, Dr. Ned. There's a special oofta Cheers. from us. Because Dr. <laughs> Ned's at the level of support where he gets a shout out in every single episode. Thank you, Ned. We'd love to shout out to you and all new Patreon subscribers. We, you know, every time uh, the bell rings, a new, a new <laughs> Patreon subscriber becomes part of the CNSI community. But really, we do love the Patreon community. And you guys really help keep us going. So if you're enjoying the podcasts, and the videos and things like that, and then the email, the weekly newsletter where you get to see the, the strangest stuff that happened every week, you should definitely join. And that's at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Are you feeling pretty cool about the whole thing, or are you crapping your pants?